We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. Let's go ahead and go there as we look at a study entitled, The Christians Workout. So notice what we read here, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12. It says, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out, there's the words, work out, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, that I may rejoice, Paul says, in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And so there's a lot here. One of the things you'll find about the Bible is so deep that theologians will never touch the bottom. And so, man, it's packed with stuff. But um, three things I'll just give to you guys, maybe that kind of stand out to me anyways. Number one is how we are to be workers for God. Uh, Number two, how we are children of God. And then number three, how ultimately we want to be living with God. You notice right, he says right there to work out your own salvation. And so there's where the the workers come. And then in verse uh, 15, he talks about the children of God. And, And that's not just about being born again. It's about being like your heavenly father. We really want that because we're going to see that that's what the world needs. You look out the world and it's crazy. It's collapsing. It's falling apart. You know, we're looking out at the world and we're saying, okay, that's more than likely basically communicating to us that Jesus Christ is going to return to judge the world, really. But we don't know that. You, we don't know that for sure. Like as far as, is it now? Is it now? We don't know. Maybe it'll be another thousand years from now. And maybe if the church gets strong, there will be a revival. We don't know. So I do know this, that we have to be strong as a church because he says right there, when you're children of God, when you're like your father, then you will shine in a crooked and perverse generation. You will shine in the world. And that'll make the difference. So again, workers for God, children of God. And then he talks about holding fast to the word of life. The word of life. And that means, you know, and it kind of connects to living in heaven forever and living for God on earth. Do you have that life? I pray that you hold fast to that. And so we begin with the, the workers for God. How many of you guys like work? I'm just curious. Does anyone here like work? Cool. Some of you guys do. Uh, some people see work as a bad thing. And I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but there was actually work uh, uh, issued to us before the fall. So before sin entered the world, in one sense, Adam and Eve were there, kind of like tending to the garden. And so we might call them a gardener's. So work in and of itself is not bad. But then after the fall, uh, we became farmers. And so there's a big difference between kind of like the gardener and the farmer. 
And so their work tends to have a negative connotation. I remember, I've been there, digging holes is hard work. Even trying to dig a hole in Cambodia in the hard ground and the heat, very difficult work. I remember, you know, laying in cement, you know, pouring cement there in, in, the, in the heat. You just, you know, some of you guys know what hard work is. And so I remember talking to one guy and he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to make a lot of money and I'm going to hire a whole bunch of people to do all the work for me. That's what he said. And I'm like, well, how are you going to make all the money if you're not going to work, you know? And so we try our, to our best to get around it. No, we have to work. We have to be willing to work. I think sometimes people, they try to squeak by in life with, with basically kind of like doing as little, working as little as they, as they possibly can. And that then can even spill over into our spiritual life. Believe it or not, man, right here, we are to work hard at being like Jesus. We are to work hard at working out our own salvation. You go to the gym, you know, if you want to, you can do it kind of like casually and maybe a little bit here, a little bit there, or you can sweat, you can work hard, you can lift heavy if you want to. It's up to you. We all have that option. We just have to make sure that in our spiritual life that laziness doesn't kick in. So right here, as Paul is, you know, finishing up because he says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And, you know, he's giving us the example of the Lord and this whole church that was a great church, but there was some little divisions going on. And he starts teaching about unity through humility and maturity brings victory. Man, you can be a strong church, right? And so as he's giving that example of Jesus, then he comes back to us and he says, okay, verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I, I hope you guys don't miss the word, my beloved. I mean, you know, the whole motive behind this is love. You know, we're not trying to tell you something because we you know, kind of want something from you guys. You know, the reason why we're able to teach the word, the reason why Paul wrote the letter in the first place, the reason why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the letter is because you are loved by God. He wants the best for you. Now, him loving you doesn't mean you get to do whatever you want to do. No, him loving you says, here, let me share with you the things that you need to do, the things that will be the best things for you. And so I pray that we would know that this letter, this, it's motivated by love. And he says there in verse 12, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think they always obeyed? Probably not, huh? So is Paul lying? I think he's just kind of like, you know, giving them a positive little word of encouragement. Like generally speaking, you know, you guys have been obedient, right? And, and, and not just when I was there. He says now much more um, when I'm not there. And, and here's the thing, you guys. Um, is that word important to you? The word obedient, is that important to you? Chapter 2, verse 8, it says that Jesus was obedient. And now the word is to me. The word is to you. Be obedient. If God says don't smoke that, if God says don't drink that, if God says don't look at that, if it comes from God, then don't. We have to learn to be obedient. 
You know, I think I read a story about a guy who was really excited about going to the Holy Land. And, you know, hey, wouldn't it be great to be able to go to the Holy Land and see, you know, where the word of God was, was given? And then the wife turned to the husband and said, I think it would be better to stay here in this land and obey the word of God. And again, I want to go to Israel, but more important than going to Israel is living the life. And so I pray that we would know, motivated by love, Paul here is just saying, whether I'm there, whether I'm not there, that we would have this heart of obedience. And, and what we find is that sometimes there's a tendency to relax obedience when the spiritual leader is absent. And that's why Paul says right here, it shouldn't matter if I'm there or not there. It shouldn't matter if Chuck Smith is there or not there. Billy Graham is there or not there. It shouldn't matter if you're at church or you're at home. It shouldn't matter who's there, right? My presence or not. You know, be obedient. And this, this is the calling for us as Christians. And what we find, Paul here says, that here's, here it is, work it out. Work out your own salvation. Now, it's interesting. In the Greek language, it's called a present tense imperative with a contrast. Now, the Greek language, you guys know this, right? God didn't make a mistake when he wrote the Bible in Koine Greek. I mean, there's nothing like it nowadays. Or, or the way that words today can be so ambiguous. In those days, with simple like prefixes and suffixes and working the letters here and there, you're able to put emphasis on certain words. So in the Greek language, there's an emphasis on the word out. So a present tense imperative means a continuous command with the emphasis on the word out. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to want to do for his good pleasure. Now, I don't want to sound gross or anything, but it's, I don't know. This is just a simple thought. I thought, like, it's kind of like toothpaste, right? You got a whole bunch of toothpaste in there, right? How many of you guys brushed your teeth this morning, right? Most of you did, right? And so you squeeze it out, right? You squeeze, you squeeze out that toothpaste, right? That's kind of what God is saying. Work it out. When you got saved, I worked in you something so amazing. I worked in you the Holy Spirit. I worked in you. My plans for you were this amazing plans, mindset, mission that God has for you. God says, it's in you. I'm in you. So work this out. Work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. And we have to make sure that there's a clear distinction on that. Because you guys know this, right? Salvation is not by works. Amen? We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, lest any man would boast. You know, Romans 4, 4 through 5, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. You get those guys, and I just want to tell you this, you get those guys that come knocking at your door, they're going to teach you salvation by faith and works. You know, you go down to the, the streets of the Catholic Church and you talk to them. They're going to tell you salvation by faith and works. They're going to say, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to do the sacraments. You've got to do communion or penance or whatever it might be. You know, you get the last rites. Listen, that's heresy. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's how we're saved. The moment you repent and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. And so Paul the Apostle wrote about that in Galatians chapter 1 because what had happened was people were turning away from the gospel because they were adding to it, saying that in order to be saved, you also have to be circumcised. 
That would be like me saying to you, okay, you guys believe, that's fine, but you also need to be baptized. No, the blood of Jesus is enough. Jesus died for your sins there on the cross. He paid the price. When you believe in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, then you're saved. You know, no amount of works that you could do will help you earn your way to salvation. And so here's the thing, okay? Don't take my word for it. You read the Bible, and it says that salvation is not by works. And so we look at this, and right here what we find is that salvation, Romans 6.23, it's a gift. It's a gift, right? Let's just say I wanted to give you my phone, which I wouldn't do unless maybe I want to get a new one. Okay, does anybody want this phone so I can get a new one? I'm just joking. All right, so let's just say I said, here, I want to give it to you as a gift. And you're like, okay, um, yeah, that's fine, but here, let me pay you $100 because it's worth at least $100. If you paid the $100, it's no longer a gift. You paid $5. It's no longer a gift. You pay a penny. It's no longer a gift. Salvation is a gift. And so we are not saved by works. We are not saved by anything you can do, any ceremony, any sacrament, any, you know, I crossed old ladies across the street and I gave to the church. And I, no, no, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So right here when Paul says, work out your salvation, he's not saying work for your salvation. He's saying work out our salvation. And so what exactly does that mean? Um, there's different theories on this, but I, I like what um, one translation, New Living Translation, says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. I kind of like that one. Or Kenneth Wiest, who is a Greek scholar, he says, carry to its ultimate conclusion likeness to the Lord Jesus, your own salvation. In other words, work hard at, at living and, and loving like Jesus. Imagine that. If I, if I really gave you guys that, that mission, because I have to give it to myself, Manny, um, do everything you can to be like Jesus. Work hard, sweat, pray, read, um, just die to self, whatever it might be, to be like Jesus. That's really what Paul is saying. In, in Philippians 3, verse 10, and Philippians 3, 12 through 13, when you get a chance, I want to encourage you to read it. He says, basically, that I may know him. That So I was saved so that I can know him and then make him known. That's why. And so work out your salvation. It would be like kind of like, you know, and I always kind of gravitate towards sports, but let's just say they got this guy on the, on, the, on the baseball team, and he's a great pitcher. So they chose him to pitch. Or they got this guy on the basketball team, and he's 45% from the three-point line. They chose him to do that. Or they got the quarterback, and he's got a gun, and he's, you know, this stud, and he's a quarter. They chose him for that. It's kind of like that. Why did God choose you? Work it out with fear and trembling, the gifts that you have, the opportunities, the responsibilities that you have. Sometimes people, I think, they're not working it out. They're, they're cruising through life. And God is saying, no, there has to be this working out of our salvation. And it's interesting how he says, with fear and trembling. And, and that's basically just saying, like, seriously. Like, I, I honestly believe with all my heart 
that God has saved me for a purpose. And I'm going to find out what that is. And I will not stop until I fulfill his commands for me. And as a matter of fact, I like what he says, you know, work it out, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. If you do this, it will please God. If you do this, it will be blessed. I mean, it's the Lord, man. And he works in you and he gives you the energy and he gives you the desires. You know, what's your desire? He'll put his desires in you when, like it says in Psalm 37, verse 4, where it says, delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. And so why, why when I got saved, why did I all of a sudden want to read the Bible? Why did I all of a sudden want to read like a, a ton of books when before I was a Christian, man, the only thing I ever read was a sports page. So why all of a sudden now do I have a heart to read? Why do I have a heart to study? Why do I even have a heart to speak? Because I'll tell you, and you can ask Shelly, I would, not, I would clam up. I could not talk to anyone. If a girl liked me in high school, nothing would happen because I could never talk to her. That's how I was. Now, why is it now all of a sudden I want to read? I want to learn. I want to talk. I want to share. Why is it that all of a sudden God started putting a love inside of my heart for people, really caring for them? Before, I didn't care. Now, all of a sudden, I did. Why did God start putting these desires in my heart? Because, you know, I mean, you know, Manny, you've got to submit to your leaders. And for some reason, it was a real strong desire in me because, you know, it's not just about you know, teaching and, and studying and knowledge. All I know is that God started putting these desires in me, and I didn't know it at the time, but eventually I found out that he had called me to be a pastor. And God will put desires in your heart. And like I told you, and I'm not messing around when I tell you, you might be the president of the United States of America. We need a good president. You might be the mayor of the city that you live in. God might call you to influence your culture that way. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the ministries will be, but you have to work out your salvation. You have to work it out because it's God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And so, you guys, let's not, I want to encourage you, and I want to encourage me, let's not be lazy. Let's be workers for God. You know, right here, he, you know, we should be doing this with fear and trembling. We should be doing this seriously, right? But unfortunately, many, they do it dragging their feet with the wrong attitude and mindset. And so Paul writes next in verse 14, do some things without complaining. No, I'm just joking. He says, no, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, there it is, without fall in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You know, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And I think that sometimes it's the way that we're wired. I don't know for sure how it works, or maybe it's the way you were raised. But some people, they complain. They, that's their, their, their pessimistic critics, cynics that only see the cup half empty, and they just live to complain. Any of you guys like that? I'm just curious. Right here, Paul says, do all things without that. 
Kenneth Wiest, again, the Greek scholar, he said, without discontented and secret mutterings and, and grumblings, there you are complaining, grumbling, murmuring in your tent, and you think God doesn't hear, that affects everything. He says, no, do it without that, that undertones of suspicion or doubt. That's what the Greek word is all about. And, and a lot of people believe that he's kind of like thinking of the children of Israel. You go back to Exodus 15, 24, and they complained against Moses, what shall we drink? Or Exodus 16, they complained about Moses as far as the fact that they weren't getting the menu that they used to get. Exodus 17, they were complaining, hey, this guy's only leading us to kill us. Deuteronomy 1.27, they complained in their tents. And so, you know, right here, Paul is saying, no, you got to be workers for God and don't complain about it. You know, I think about some of these guys that are out there in the sun, in the heat, you know, three-digit. I was thinking about our soldiers in places like, you know, uh, when they were there in Afghanistan or, or Iraq, and we're talking, you know, above 100 degrees with all the, all, the, all the garb, all the things that they had to wear, you know, and they had a choice. Being their responsibility, they could complain the whole time. For us, we have to be careful that we don't get uh, caught up in that type of life because it'll ruin us. Let me read to you guys some quotes on complaining. Erwin Lutzer said, complaining about our lot in life might seem quite innocent, but God takes it personal. Because God is the one who has allotted us our lots in life. One person said, if Christians spent as much time praying as they do grumbling, they would have nothing to grumble about. I like that one. So come to the prayer meeting tonight, okay? One guy said, some people are always grumbling because roses have thorns. I am thankful that thorns have roses. It's all a matter of perspective, right? Paul Torner said, when we are discontented with ourselves, we complain about others. Isn't that the truth? And you know, this person that's coming, you already know what they're going to do. They are complainers. Man, I pray that that is not the title for you, my Christian. I like what one guy said, Lou Holtz, he was a great a coach, and this is kind of funny what he said. He said, don't tell your problems to people. 80% don't care, and the other 20% are glad you have them. <laughs> now, I wouldn't agree with him, you know, on that 100%. Um, hopefully, there are some people that you can open up with and, you know, share your burdens with, but man, you got to be so careful when it comes to this. Paul here says, uh, in the family and primarily in the flock, I think that's the context, quit complaining and don't dispute. And the Greek word used there is a word that basically means self-based reasoning. You know, you're not really talking to God about it. You're really just talking to yourself. As a matter of fact, the same Greek word is translated opinions and dissensions and evil thoughts and speculations. And so a lot of it has to do with the mind. And so why should we want to do this? Number one, because it pleases God. Number two, it proves you're a child of God. And then number three, it shows the world God through you because you will shine and you will be like him. Notice again what we read right here. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become. 
Now, I just want to pause there because you know what that tells me? That tells me, man, that there is hope for you and I to change, to change. You can become, we can become that man of God, that woman of God. Because what I've noticed in life, to be honest, I've been a Christian now for 31 years, man. A lot of times people don't change. They don't grow. You know, I don't know. I guess maybe God has a life illustration for us. Isn't it interesting how we, when we were born, some of you guys are born maybe 18 inches, right? Or whatever, 18 inches, right? And so then you start growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. And next thing you know, you're right here. And then you reach junior high and then you stop growing. <laughs> Lord, why? <laughs> and maybe the Lord's trying to tell us, hey, be careful of that. You know, then we start growing like this, you know, the wrong way, man. <laughs> And the Lord is just saying, Manny, come on. As a Christian, you, you can become. You can change. And, I, and to me, when I read this, it's so cool that we could become. It says blameless and harmless. The word blameless, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we're proper. It means that there's no accusations that will stick. The word harmless is not a good translation. Really looking at this Greek word right here, it just talks about being pure. You know, and so that we can become blameless and, and pure. Notice, children of God. There it is. Not that we're earning that. You know, John 1, 12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. But what he's talking about right here is this. He's talking about more and more like God. They look at you and guess who they see. They see Jesus. That's the goal. That's what I'm working hard for. Now I'm going to be a worker, a worker uh, for God because I want to be like this type of child of God. Because it says right there, then, then when we come that, without, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom we shine as lights in the world. You know, I, I believe that for a lot of us here, God has more. Like, you know, the famous line uh, to Simba, you're more than you've become, remember? Because they was living the life of Akuna Matata. You guys remember? <laughs> you're supposed to be king. You're supposed to be king. You're supposed to be more. You know, I think for us, we have to have that understanding that God has growth for us to experience. And I know this is a different context, but I always think of John chapter 3, verse 30, where John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. Maybe you're here today and just your life has hit like a, a, a dead end. Maybe you're here today and you hit like a brick wall and you just can't seem to go forward. Well, that probably means, like we've talked about this before, you need to do something different different now, deeper, real, working harder, because in one sense, insanity is simply defined as doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. You know, it's like that husband, and I don't want to pick on the husbands, but since I'm a husband, I'll go ahead and, you know, pick on us. You know, it's like, dude, when will you change? When will you start loving your wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her? When will you stop putting yourself before your wife? 
Because that's the way it's supposed to be as husbands. I got to put her before myself. What does she need? What does she need spiritually? Will you lead her as a husband? Well, she won't follow. Well, why won't she follow? Well, man, you don't know my wife. Well, I, I don't know your wife, and I know it can be challenging. But as a leader, the whole point is God didn't make a mistake. That's your wife. You're her husband. You have to find a way. We have to find a way for them to want to follow us. And so I remember, you know, Lenya Heitzig, she said, you know what? I don't have a problem following my husband, Skip, because every morning I see him there spending time with God. He gets his marching orders from God, and then I see him living the life. When will that man change? When will that husband, when I can look to the wife now and she's going to say, yeah, my husband's different. It's like he's been making this progress going forward. And of course, the same thing is for you ladies as well, right? I don't want to be offensive or anything, but some of you ladies, it's time to change. It's time to become children of God, blameless, harmless, among whom we shine as lights in the world. And it's not just out there in the highways and byways and valleys and alleys. It's there at your house. Your kids will see something different about you. You know, when he talks about shining as these lights, you know, he's talking about, you know, when you look up at the skies. And uh, I remember when we went to Grand Canyon. The sky was so dark and black and there was no smog and there was no other lights that hindered. And you could just see, you know, the gazillion stars. That's how we shine. And the darker it gets the brighter we shine if we shine as children of God. You know, when you get a chance, we don't have time to go there, but I want to encourage you to read Matthew 5, 43-48, talking about how we can love our enemies, and in the process, what ends up happening is we become like our Father, who, you know, causes the sun to rise and the just and the unjust and the rain and the goodness. He, he's so good, we, we want to try to be like Him. And so we have to shine. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify you. I'm just joking, I didn't say that, huh? Oh, he's so good. You know what? If there is anything good in that guy, it's God. If there's anything good in that gal, it's God. Look at the work that God has done to that individual who has yielded themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so you let that light shine. Wouldn't it be cool, you know, if, uh, man, they looked at you and they right away they knew, man, he's like, like Jesus. What's the light? The light is Jesus, John 8, 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And so really what happens is we reflect Christ. It's kind of like the moon. There it is, 239,000 miles away. And you look at the moon and you're like, well, it's so bright tonight. Well, some Christians, they shine bright like that moon. And it just depends, so, so to speak, on where the lunar phase is, you know, what's going on. The same is true for us. You know, shining like God, it depends on what phase, I guess you could say, we're in. Are we in this place of being obedient? And, and so we're workers for God. We're, we're children of God. 
And hopefully we will always be living with God. And I, and I think that is heaven, but I also think it has to do with life on earth. Because look what he says in verse 16, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. And so holding fast the word of life, what do you think the word of life means? What is that in reference to? Um, probably the Bible, and we're, we're going to see even more specific uh, a message in the Bible. But let me ask you guys a question. Um, in the world today, do you think that our culture is shaped or influenced more by the movies that Hollywood puts out or by the Bible? I didn't hear you. <laughs> the, unfortunately, the movies. And they do these movies, man, and it's just crazy. You go and you get your popcorn and you're getting inundated with the, the narrative. And Romans 12, it says you're conformed to this world and it's just crazy. Why is that happening? Why do people like the movies more than the Bible? Why do they like the mainstream media, some of that music? Again, I'm not a legalistic person, don't get me wrong, but I think what's happening is because of the fact that they don't know this well enough, they don't know it well enough, they find themselves influenced by, by the movies. And the last thing in the world you would ever want to do is to think of death. Oh, you guys think of death? You're not supposed to do that, right, according to the movies. But as Christians, let me tell you something. You are not ready to live until you are ready to die. We should think of death. Not that we're morbid, but we're ready. You know, and I know one day I'll stand before God and I'll, and I'll give an account. And so, you know, you go and, you know, nothing against Taylor Swift. She's, you know, people worship her. I mean, people like her and stuff. You know, but you go to the, the and it's crazy. You know, and again, you not saying you can't appreciate the music, but my, my question is, do you get excite, as excited about the Lord as you do about this musical artist? We have to check our hearts because I think what's happening in the world today is we're not really holding fast the word of life because what ends up happening is we, we, we don't have this. And not only the, the, the Bible as a whole, but I think the gospel, the gospel truth, which is what gives us life, and even Jesus himself, because remember what he said, I am the way, the truth, and the, the life, right? And so Paul says, listen, I, I, I want you guys to hold fast that word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. Paul says that, that he would rejoice when Jesus returns and we stand before him, and there you are as a church, and you're saved. And Paul would say, I, I didn't run in vain because that's what the messengers would do. In those days, they would run and they would carry the message. I didn't labor in vain. And the word is to grow tired with toil and be weary. You know, because I'll be honest, like I was just reading through the pastoral epistles and I encourage you guys when you get a chance, just read through First and Second Timothy and you're going to find that in reading those letters, a lot of times Paul is saying, well, this person fell away and their faith was overthrown and they're no longer with us and they've turned away from me. And so a lot of times people in the church, unfortunately, fall away. 
And Paul says, man, I pray that not, that would not be the case for you, that I, that I didn't labor in vain, that here it is, and I think this is a calling not just for Paul, but for all, that we would check our hearts. Okay, Lord, how do I need to be different in order to make a difference? Some people, I don't know if that captures your heart. Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I don't really want to make a difference. I don't really care about people. I just, you know, want to go to In-N-Out afterwards, you know? I, I just want to go and have fun. And that's some people, they have that mentality. I, on the other hand, and I'm not taking the credit or the, touching the glory, but I am consumed with that. I am consumed with God. I love these people. I pray they would know you love them. I pray they would be everything you've called them to be, each and every one unique and marvelous and a beautiful, unique creation of yours so that we would be different, we would be obedient, and in being different, we would make a difference to that one over there who's homeless or that one over there who's struggling with fentanyl or suicidal thoughts or that one over there whose marriage is about to burst and the family will be just scattered. I want to make a difference. And so Paul here says, man, I pray that you guys are on track, that you hold fast the word of life so that I know I didn't run or labor in vain. And so I'm going to close with a story that you guys have heard, I'm sure, many times, but I've always been inspired by it. Once upon a time, there was an old gentleman who used to go to the ocean to do his writing. He had a habit of walking on the beach every morning before he began his work. And so early one morning, he was walking along the shore after a big storm had passed and found the vast beach littered with starfish as far as the eye could see, stretching in both directions. Off in the distance, the old man noticed a small boy approaching. As the boy walked, he paused every so often, and as he grew closer, the man could see that he was occasionally bending down to pick up an object and throw it into the sea. The boy came closer still, and the man called out, "'Good morning. May I ask you, what are you doing?' And the young boy paused, he looked up, and he said, I'm throwing starfish into the ocean. The tide has washed them up onto the beach, and they can't return to the sea by themselves. He said, and when the sun gets high, they will die unless I throw them back into the water. And so the old man replied, but there must be tens of thousands of starfish on the beach. I'm afraid you won't be able to make a difference. And the boy bent down. He picked up yet another starfish, threw it as far as he could into the ocean. And then he turned, smiled, and said to the man, and made a difference to that one. You, God has surrounded you with friends, with people that he loves. We can't pick them all up by ourselves, but together... We can make a difference. All we have to do is enter into this love relationship made possible by the cross of Jesus Christ. Not be afraid to work hard. Not play church. But have a heart to really be obedient.